0: Welcome to the 28th episode of the 4th and Twenty Four podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, we'll have a brief recap of major trades in the NBA and a preview of the Sweet 16 and the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Let's jump right in with that recap of the NBA trade deadline trades and start with Patrick's thoughts on who the biggest winners were. Patrick, uh, who was your biggest winner at the NBA trade
1: deadline? I would have to give it to the Denver Nuggets. They fulfilled two big needs of theirs. Uh, They got a nice perimeter defender who can switch a lot of screens and really just play overall great defense on everybody and also add another viable scoring option, that being Aaron Gordon from the Magic. Uh, Maybe most people, casual fans, just know him as the great dunker, but he really is a great player in the league. Uh, They also got Gary Clark in that trade with the Magic, and and they gave up Gary Harris, who a great player, one of the one of the guys on the perimeter that helped them with a lot of shooting. But at the same time, he had some injury issues, kind of struggled with that. And overall, I think Aaron Gordon will serve much more of a purpose in the playoffs. And then rookie R.J. Hampton and a first round pick. Uh, they also got JaVale McGee from the Cavs. Uh, JaVale ending up where he started his career, actually in Denver, for Isaiah Hartenstein and two first round pick or two second round picks. Sorry. Uh, that's also a big need of theirs is to have a backup big to Jokic because look, he may be the MVP, but he can't play every minute of the game, especially as a big man. And also he's, he's passing, he's shooting, he's playing defense. JaVale McGee really gives them a rim protector that they need. And Aaron Gordon really also helps out with rim protection too. So overall, I thought the Nuggets did a great job fulfilling some of their needs and not really honestly giving up too much. Two second round picks, a first round pick, a role, uh, two role players, although Gary Harris is a little bit of a larger role player uh, and then a rookie. I don't think that's too bad, uh, too high of a price.
0: All right, so the Nuggets are your big winners at the NBA trade, trade deadline. Let's talk about some other winners. Uh, who do you have next?
1: I gave the Portland Trailblazers the second spot, uh, really because Norman Powell is having a career year. He's shooting, I think, 44% from the three-point line. They now have the easy I, I people will say debatably, but I think it's easily the best three-guard lineup in the West – Uh, The only other team that rivals them is the Jazz, but Norm Powell, CJ McCollum, and Damian Lillard is going to be a matchup nightmare for any team that has to play them. Uh, They're all actually 6'3 or shorter too, which means they might have some issues guarding teams with size, although I think if you play good team defense, you can overcome that, and not to mention the fact that these guys, Norman Powell is used to guarding a little bit bigger guys because he's actually used to playing with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet on the floor at the same time. He's used to guarding the small forward type guys. And they only gave up Gary Trent and Rodney Hood. Yes, again, kind of similar to the Nuggets. Two role players. This is typically the t- the kind of price you want to be giving up. Um, and, and look, Norman Powell is going to serve such a big purpose for this team, that I, I such a big role that I think... This th- That price was kind of necessary, and they really needed to give up a, a shooter. I mean, Toronto's not going to walk away empty-handed, obviously. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, they wouldn't trade him. I mean, you saw what happened with Kyle Lowry. That he was in a bunch of trade rumors, and in the end, Masai Ujiri said, well, none of them compelled me enough to trade away our, our-, our star franchise player, and Norm Powell's no different. He was also part of the title team. They don't want to split with those players unless they really find something good.
0: Alright, well you also think the Los Angeles Clippers were, were among the winners, so let's talk about their activity.
1: They also got another small guard, although I, the reason why I put them under Portland is uh, they, they did fulfill a bigger need for their team, a bigger gap, but they, I feel like they gave up a lot more. Um, they were they acquired Rajon Rondo from Atlanta, uh, but they gave up Lou Williams and two second-round picks. Uh, Lou obviously has been sixth man of the year for this team. Great scorer off the bench, pretty much been the best scorer off the bench for five or so good five or so years right now. Uh just really a dominant player off the bench and always provided them with that spark that they needed. But it, it was necessary because this team does not have a point guard and they needed a ball-dominant point guard. And there was actually a stat that Rajan Rondo, although his team went farther because he was on the Lakers, who won the title, he alone had more assists in the playoffs last year than the entire Clippers guard rotation combined in their in their two series that they played. That, that's a necessary change. I mean, you can't have Paul George and Kawhi handling the ball all the time. Kawhi has never been an, a, a playmaker and an assist and a guy who gets a lot of assists. You can't have Kawhi trying to be LeBron. It'll do them a lot better to have Rajon Rondo at the point and allow Kawhi to play off the ball more where he's more comfortable.
0: All right, we got two other teams that you've listed as winners.
1: Who's the next one? The next one is the Miami Heat. They got Victor Oladipo from Houston, and less importantly, they got Nemanja Bielitza from Sacramento. Uh, to Houston, they traded Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, and a 2022 first-round pick swap, which was via the Bucks, which is confusing, and we'll get to that in the context of Houston later. Uh, and to Sacramento, they traded Mo Harkless and Chris Silva. They really didn't trade anybody who played significant minutes for them. Uh, And the other thing is they are really heavily involved, apparently, uh, according to reports by many experts, uh, in the Andre Drummond, uh, after he's been bought out by the Cavaliers, they are apparently very, very, very heavily involved in his free agency discussion and who's going to pick him up. They seem like the favorite to land him, which would give them a huge advantage over anybody because I don't know how you're going to guard Bam Adebayo and Andre Drummond on the floor at the same time. Andre Drummond could even make Bam a better player, even though he already should have been an all-star twice. So, look, that, that'd that be a scary duo, or even if you have Drummond backing him up, you'd keep those, those legs really, really fresh. That's a lot of rebounding, that's a lot of shot blocking, and that's a lot of scoring from the paint. And also, this Victor Oladipo edition is huge, because that is a third very, very solid score. And even last year, this team made the finals without a solid third score. You could say Goran Dragic or Tyler Hero kind of filled that role and they had Duncan Robinson as the shooter. But let's be honest, the third, they need a third pure score. A lot of teams have that. And Victor Oladipo certainly serves that role for this team.
0: All right, finally, who's your other winner at the NBA trade
1: deadline? I put them a little bit farther down because they're not necessarily in contention as much as these other teams. But the Chicago Bulls did a great job putting themselves in a position to finally make the playoffs again. Uh, they got Nikola Vucevic from Orlando, Al Farouk from from Orlando also. To Orlando, they traded Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and two first-round picks, which, again, a really heavy price to pay. But if you look at what the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis, not comparing Vucevic to Anthony Davis, obviously, but this is about the same package, and they also got an extra role player to go with it. So I would say this is worth it. Vucevic is a perennial all-star. He's the one who wills the Orlando to the playoffs basically every year. Uh, From the Celtics, they also got Daniel Tice and Javante Green. And from the Wizards, they got Troy Brown Jr. in a big three-team trade. Uh, To the Celtics, they dealt out Luke Cornett. And to the Wizards, they gave Daniel Gafford and Chandler Hutchinson. Overall, kind of swapping the role players up, uh, maybe Tice starts at center, or I would would assume he'd be playing behind Vucevic. but the Bulls, you know, they kind of had to get get rid of Wendell Carter, Luke Cornett, and Gafford because they, they can't have a whole, a whole roster of centers. <laughs> um, <laughs> wouldn't really make much sense for them. Uh, but look, Vucevic and Zach Levine is a pretty great point guard center duo. And you also have Laurie Markkinen who can shoot, who's also a bigger guy. Overall, Chicago looks like they're building to actually maybe try to win a few games in the playoffs and not just barely scrape into it, and then get bounced in the first round.
0: All right, well, let's move to a couple of teams that don't look like you're trying to win a few games in the playoffs. Then again, maybe one team that just doesn't look like you're trying to win any games at all. Uh, <laughs> let's start with your biggest loser.
1: Uh, it's the Houston Rockets. And look, we're, we're talking about the deadline early, but if you were to extend and go back to where some of these players came from that they traded away, uh, this goes back to the James Harden trade. It was not... They, I, I feel like a lot of people have... Now, now that we've seen where these players have ended up, a lot of people felt like they overextended their, their hand a little bit involving the Pacers in the trade and doing the whole Karis Levert for Victor Oladipo thing because they could have just had Karis Levert, who's playing better than Oladipo. Uh, although e- even after he had a sur- surgery to remove kidney stones, he's still playing better than v- Victor Oladipo. So if you need any indication of how of how much better he is, there you go. Um but overall, now you have them trading Victor Oladipo to Miami for Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, and a first-round pick swap with the Bucks. Um, I'll go to the pick swap last because we should move on to who else they traded for. But they also traded to the Bucks. They traded P.J. Tucker, Rodeons Kuruks, a second-round pick in uh, 2021 and a first-round pick in 2022 for DJ Augustine, DJ Wilson, a 2021 first-round pick swap and a 2023 first-round pick. Uh, but it, I, I want to go back to this pick swap for a second. W- what is a pick swap between the bu- via the Bucks, which means that it's a swap between the Bucks pick and the Heat pick, depending on which one is better. I, I mean, if you look at the Eastern Conference standings, what, the, the Heat are going to finish two games below the Bucks, and then all of a sudden, wow, you jumped from the 27th pick to the 25th pick. I think that's frankly useless, but, but that's just me. Uh, maybe it's because it's next year that they think that they're going to end up better. But look, overall, if you look at what they gave up for James Harden, you yeah, where would does think that
0: end up they get well, they trade. If James you Harden, go through
1: all of what they had from the beginning, they had James Harden and PJ Tucker, and then all of a sudden you go down to what they have now. They have no PJ Tucker. They don't have two of the players that they traded for with within the Harden trade. They obviously don't have Harden either, uh, and they're really they really got nothing in return. Um, I think overall, if you were to combine those two trades, it is a large net loss for the Houston Rockets. And frankly, if you look at it, they traded away a first-round pick in in this trade. I mean, it's not like the Thunder, who have 34 picks in in six drafts, where they're just stockpiling picks. They are trading away picks for players too, which makes no sense to play to try to get role players for picks. And really. That You can't rebuild without picks, and they don't have enough at all, not even close. So overall, it makes no sense to me from the Rockets' perspective. So if
0: I understand this, and I know there's some other players and picks thrown in, but if you try to simplify everything, at the end of the day, the Houston Rockets had James Harden, and they traded him, and what they ended up with once they took what they got for James Harden and then did other trades, it's basically, again, some picks thrown in here, but... James Harden, they got Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, DJ Augustine, and DJ Wilson.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And also a few other uh, players from from that trade that still stayed on the team from the Nets. Uh, But also, if you want to go back to that Nets thing, they also could have had Jarrett Allen instead. Uh, they could have picked a lot of players. So what are the? I mean, what do you
0: think the Rockets are doing here? What's their strategy?
1: I have no clue. I honestly, <laughs> I, I have no clue. I think it. I think when the Thunder make trades, if you were to compare them to a team that's in a similar situation who had to trade away their stars because they were unhappy, when the Thunder make trades, it's very obvious they trade a player and they get only picks back and maybe an expiring contract that they're taking to fill a roster spot and some cap space that they're taking on for the other team. They do not do all this other, let's get more role players for more picks on our side and also more picks on their side. And look, the Thunder have 17 first round picks in six years. They almost, they're averaging pretty much three first round picks a year. That's a 10th of the first round every single year for six years. That's how to rebuild the franchise. But they are, the Houston Rockets didn't have any first round picks really to begin with because of what they did to get Chris Paul, to get Dwight Howard, to get Russell Westbrook in the past, and now they've still ended up with basically none. So overall, I don't know what direction they're going in. They're not contending for the playoffs anytime soon, and frankly, the way their their front office is going, I don't see why any free agents would want to sign there either.
0: Yeah, and their encore performance isn't helping any much. have helping much. It doesn't look like it's getting any better. All right, let's uh, stop wasting a lot of t- any more time on the Houston Rockets uh, and go to the Orlando Magic, who are your other losers.
1: Uh, they got from Denver, Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a first round pick. And from Boston, they got Jeff Teague and two second round picks, but they waived Jeff Teague immediately. They traded away Aaron Gordon and Gary Clark and to Boston, they traded Evan Fournier. So basically you get the magic, uh, trading and also the Vucevic trade, which, uh, we talked about earlier too. So overall the magic traded, You could, if you count Aminu, you you could say three or four, let's say three starters. They traded three starters for two fringe starters, two first round picks, two second round picks, add in an extra first round pick, and then two role players. Overall, this trade, what they did pretty much sucks. I'm going to put it straight. Um, I don't understand quite what they're doing because I guess they're saying, they're admitting that getting the eight seed every year and m- winning one game in a series and just pretty, or or getting swept with Vucevic is not enough. And they want to just move on from that era and, and maybe try to get better in a different era. But the problem that I have with it is they traded away all their stars and everybody else on their team. Who's kind of supposed to be th- the good ones for the future, like Markel Fultz, uh, they're not, they're not playing up to the level that they're going to make the playoffs, so now they're going to completely fall out of playoff contention, but I also think they're better than being a team that's all the way down at the tanking levels of the Houston Rockets at this point, so it doesn't really make much sense because I don't know if they're planning on adding a, a ne- their next star in free agency or in the early first round, but I don't think they're in a good position to do either of them right now, which is why I would say they're the biggest losers. Maybe if they had kept one of those play, maybe if they had not done one of these trades, I would say they're still in good position. But uh, depending on where those picks fall, I don't think they're gonna be very early. Frankly, I don't think the bull, I don't think Bulls first round picks are gonna end up early. After all they have right now, I think they're gonna probably have a bunch of middle of the first round picks, including from their own team. So, I, I don't know if you can really get a good, a great playoff level team from four rookies that are picked between 10 and 20 and then some middle aged players. I, I don't, I don't see that direction either kind of in the same way that I don't see the direction for the Houston Rockets.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion of the NBA trade deadline. Let's shift gears and move from pro basketball to college basketball with a preview of the NCAA men's tournament suite 16. And let's start with a look at the first game of the weekend on Saturday Number 12, Oregon State against Loyola of Chicago. Patrick, your thoughts on this matchup?
1: This is a great game. Uh, these are a lot of the... I mean, this is where a lot of the madness is sparked from this tournament. You have a team that won a close nine, uh, a close game against a nine uh, who won the ACC this year and also who upset a one seed. So you have the team that took down the ACC champions and the Big Ten champions, uh, at least tournament champions, and then you have the team who took down a four and a five seed, who were finalists and semifinalists in their conferences themselves. Um, so this is this is going to be a great game. Uh, maybe maybe not the game you want to watch if you're a casual fan. And let's be honest, these teams don't score a lot. Uh, it might be a pretty ugly game, but overall, I think loyola Chicago. Although I said this game might be ugly, I only mean ugly as in there won't be much scoring. But That'll they do up run and down a game. yeah, but they do run a pretty clean. It won't be a game of runs like a Michigan against LSU, but it will be a very clean game, uh, but low scoring and maybe not exactly the uh, prolific Kemba Walker runs that you have seen in past tournaments.
0: And, and so, who do you think wins this game?
1: I still have loyal Chicago winning. I don't, I, I mean, look, best tournament win percentage of all time. Why Why pick against them? Huh? <laughs> also, I just think that Oregon State, it's one of those things where most of the time when this happens to a team, kind of like it happened to FGCU, if you remember that, in 2013. They get there and it's like, whoa, wait a second. They're playing really well. They've already beaten a two seed. They must be able to beat... Uh, a one or whoever it happens to be, they're looking pretty good. Let, they might, they might keep this rolling, but in the end, it, it normally doesn't come to fruition. So I think it's going to happen again for Oregon State.
0: Yeah, no team sneaking up on any team in the Sweet 16. They're not taking anybody lightly. But then again, I, uh, with Loyola Chicago, I think their last run to the NCAA tournament three years ago, two tournaments ago, they still were a Cinderella in the in the Sweet 16. Um, didn't have they got they got a few breaks along the road, but I don't think they they, they were they were a high, they weren't this high of a seed.
1: They um, won every game by well, one possession, more, yeah. but so this team is playing it, better than they did might, when they were they in the final four. Might be the
0: hunted now. Loyola Chicago might be the hunted. It's possible pressure on them. Everybody, a lot of people are talking them up, but I do I, I I was tempted to go with Oregon State here, but I agree with you. I think Oregon State Cinderella run ends. They've uh they had to, they've gone undefeated through the Pac-12 tournament just to get in this tournament. They had two upsets, uh, two two surprising wins to be in the Sweet Sixteen. I think they're their run end. So let's move on to the next matchup, which is number five seed Villanova versus the number one seed Baylor.
1: If you had told me before this year that this matchup was coming in the NCAA tournament, I would have asked you, is it in the Final Four? Is it in the championship game? Um, Villanova has championship pedigree, really. I mean, they are considerably higher up recently than any other team in college basketball. They've won two titles in the past five years, uh, or five tournaments at least. And they have been, and I think they even went to another uh, final. So, I mean, and then Baylor is obviously on the rise recently. Last year, they would have been a major contender if the tournament had been played. And this year, they've been great from start to finish. Uh, I think if you want me to take a pick on this game, I think it's still pretty obvious that Baylor is better than Villanova. I think if you give me Colin Gillespie in this game for Villanova, and maybe Villanova playing a cleaner first two rounds with their point guard, with their star point guard and leading scorer there, I think I might think about Villanova just because of the past, and it seems like history always repeats itself in the tournament. Uh, But if, if without their point guard, I think it's pretty obvious that Baylor is still the stronger team, and even even honestly with both teams at full strength, I'd still probably pick Baylor. I've said many times I wouldn't pick them to get over, or pick them to lose against anybody but Gonzaga. So, I'm gonna stick with that, picking Baylor.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Baylor defeats an undermanned Villanova squad. Um, so, let's move on to the next game because Baylor, if, assuming Baylor wins, or the winner of Baylor or Villanova, will face the winner of 15-seeded Oral Roberts. That is not a slip of the tongue. 15-seeded Oral Roberts versus three-seeded Arkansas. Patrick, what do you think about this matchup?
1: I think this is where you see the run come to an end, similarly like Oregon State for Oral Roberts. Um, Again, I referenced FGCU, which if anybody doesn't know, that's Florida Gulf Coast. They were nicknamed Dunk City. Um, After making a run to the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed eight years ago. I think that it is really, really possible that Arkansas comes out and absolutely destroys them. And I think the reason is... They played each other earlier in the season. Max Smith, the leading scorer in Division 1, who averages 26 points a game, only scored 11 points in that game. And Oral Roberts still kept the game in single digits, or I think it was 11 that they lost by, at Arkansas. So I think when you pair that with how well they've been playing in the tournament, Arkansas might even overestimate this team. They might treat this team like they're playing Baylor. (laughs) Um, I think they're going to be on high, high alert on on Saturday. Uh, th- look, I, I just said it. They The leading scorer in D1 only scored 11 points, and they barely lost. Arkansas will be really prepared to hold him to the same amount. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. But regardless, I still think Arkansas is going to win because they're going to be hypersensitive to the run that Oral Roberts is making.
0: Agree. Uh, Arkansas wins this game. Plenty of time to prepare, and they're not taking... They're not looking at their seed. They're they're looking at their earlier matchup, like you said. I agree with you 100%. So uh, we agree. We've got Baylor versus Arkansas uh, for in the lead eight for the right to the Sweet 16. The final matchup on Saturday, uh, the winner would face the winner of Loyola Chicago, Oregon State is number 11 seeded Syracuse versus number two seeded Houston.
1: Uh, I think Houston wins this game. I'm gonna state it up front, and then go into why. I, I picked Syracuse as kind of the dark horse double digit to make the Sweet 16. Obviously, it ended up happening, so it's a pretty good prediction on my part. Um, but I, I really think that the whole time, in the back of my head, I've been like, they can get to the Sweet 16, but they're not going anywhere beyond that, uh, unless barring something crazy happening to Houston. Uh, I just think that Houston and Syracuse—Houston's really used to this kind of style of pace and play that Syracuse uh, employs— it is not like Illinois playing Loyal Chicago where Illinois wants to go really fast and Loyola Chicago goes really slow and whoever basically imposed their will on the other team pace-wise was going to win that game. Houston doesn't necessarily play slow, but they play slow enough that I think they won't have trouble adapting to the Syracuse. They have plenty of shooters. And frankly, I think I said it to you last week, if they had made it by Rutgers with the way Daquan Giroux had to play with his hip pointer and how injured he was... I said I was sure that getting some days of rest rather than playing on literally one day of rest, uh, that if they got him some rest, he would be back. He'd be playing better, even though he already was playing as maybe, one of the, maybe the best player on their team still. Uh, he's going to be healthy, so I think Houston wins the game. They have better guards than Syracuse does, even though that's Syracuse strength. Well,
0: and this year there's an actual extra day of rest uh, because of the way the NCAA has has scheduled the tournament, so extra day of rest uh, for Houston to get healthy. I've got Syracuse. Um, this is my one upset for Saturday. I think that the Houston isn't an offensive, you know, firepower to what to to be able to get past Syracuse's zone. I think if you're not used to playing against it, no matter how much you practice for it on film. You can't you can't replicate it in practice. It it is
1: exactly it is one of the few things in college basketball that everybody has stated is the one thing that you cannot absolutely just can't replicate. It is that a lot of people also talked about. I I heard a lot of people talking about before the tournament who's going to be tough to play on short rest. And West Virginia seemed to evidence it. It's Syracuse because it is so hard to prep for on regular rest. How do you do it with one day where you're probably maybe not even practicing?
0: Yep. And I know that Houston play, is a good defensive team. I think a slower game, fewer possessions. I think Syracuse hits enough three-pointers, and their defense frustrates Houston enough that they squeak by, pull off the upset. Um, so let's move to Sunday's game. And Sunday's game. Sunday's first game is number five-seeded Creighton versus number one-seeded Gonzaga.
1: I don't think we need to talk much about this one. I mean... Look, I I thought Creighton was losing in the first round very easily. They narrowly escaped. Um, Can't
0: believe they're still alive.
1: And then because of Ohio's upset over the, we literally got to the tournament a day ago, Virginia Cavaliers, uh, they they ended up playing Creighton, and I think Creighton really drew a lucky draw, frankly. Um, Their first round one was a hard-fought one, but look, hard-fought against UCSB, does not get you beating to beating Gonzaga. That level is not I, I mean, there are a lot of teams who can't get anywhere near Gonzaga, and frankly, I think Creighton is just on the uh, on the upper echelon of teams who quite can't quite get to the level of beating Gonzaga. Gonzaga would have to have a really big off day to lose this game. And I just think they don't they they aren't gonna they have too much to prove. Uh they won't do it.
0: Yeah I would Creighton is the last team out of all the remaining sixteen teams that I would pick to win a first round, to win one of these games. I think they have the least chance
1: to win any of because the games. Because of the opponent, I would say I would because agree opponent, with you. I think I are. think Oral Roberts is easily the worst team, but, but they're play, playing play, Arkansas play, play, play. rather than rather yeah. than Gonzaga. I think so it, yeah.
0: And and, watch, I'll be wrong, but I don't care. Uh, Let's move on then. Let's go to the the next game on Sunday, which is number four, Florida State versus number one, seeded Michigan.
1: This is a very interesting game. I mean, obviously I know who you're going to (laughs) pick. But look, there's a lot of interesting matchups in this game. Franz Wagner versus Scotty Barnes. This is a matchup that most people fate as a top 10 pick matchup. Franz actually being ranked ninth by a lot of people and... Uh, Scotty Barnes being ranked eighth, so who knows? Maybe one flips the table on the other, turns the tables. one One raises up in draft stock, one falls a little bit. It's a great matchup. Two, six, nine guards that you have on either side. A lot of shooting on both sides and a lot of length on both sides. It will be a great game, and it will honestly be interesting to see Florida State and their depth against Michigan, and their kind of pretty short rotation, especially with Isaiah Livers out.
0: Yeah, interesting matchup. Uh, got a very in-depth analysis of this. Go Blue Baby. Um, no, but uh, obviously I'm picking Michigan. But also the other interesting thing is Leonard and Hamilton. And I'd have to agree with you there. Leonard Hamilton uh, was a mentor to Juwan Howard. Very close to each other. Uh, Juwan Howard, I know, has called Leonard Hamilton over the years for advice. Um, when Juwan Howard was a player in the, in the NBA with Washington, Leonard Hamilton was the head coach. So uh, interesting, interesting matchup, both of, of coaches, um, teams. They met each other. Three years ago in Michigan's march to the final, to the NCAA championship game. Uh, but you've heard my prediction in yours. So let, we'll move on to the next game. Uh, the winner of the Florida State Michigan game would face the winner of number 11 seeded UCLA, still alive after having to put in a play in game against number two Alabama. What do you think?
1: I think this will be a very interesting game, but I think um, Alabama probably got the best draw they could have in the entire tournament because this team goes hot and cold so much. But Maryland, their second-round opponent, I mean, obviously, the 15 seed, you should just be able to get by them, whoever they are. I don't really care if Rick Pitino coaches them or not. (laughs) Um, But I think Maryland was a better draw for them than UConn, because Maryland goes up and down with three-point shooting a lot, and sometimes their defense lags behind, even though that's supposed to be the vaunted part of their team. Uh, And I think they didn't need to shoot 60% from three to beat them, even though they did, and that's why they won by a bunch of points. But... I think this is a great matchup for them because they don't have to score. They do not have to shoot 50% from three. They don't have to shoot 33s and make and make, uh, 16, 17 of them. I think they can really play this game to shoot about 33 still, but make only 12, 13 of them, and they still should be fine against UCLA's scoring output. It's not quite as high as they, as what they normally play. I mean, we saw how much LSU can put up on the board, and look, Alabama beat them without shooting. Their best game. I mean, they shot a pretty, a pretty great one, but that is their style to shoot three pointers and get baskets in the paint. I think this game could play out very similarly. Different talent and in, in different kind of an in different in a different look, but I think it could play very similarly to the Iona game with Alabama, where it's kind of a little bit low scoring and a few shots that that spark some runs really decide the game.
0: Uh, I'm gonna go with UCLA. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I just have this feeling that they have a great coach Um, so I think he'll have his team prepared and some teams just get hot and for whatever reason UCLA was leading the Pac-12 for a long time they were on a Really, they were on a roll, and then they just hit the skids. And well, they, they, they had a
1: few problems with injuries losing their big men, and they kind of had to learn to play without them. And, uh, Which sometimes I think,
0: pays dividends down the road.
1: Right, because even if you get beat up without them, the only thing that matters is do you get to the NCAA tournament, and once you get there, what do you do when you're there? So
0: In Alabama, this is fresh territory for them. They The pressure's on them. They're not a program that's used to being here, and I just don't know if they know how to win yet. So um, I'm going to go with the upset uh, UCLA over Alabama, leaving our final prediction uh, featuring two Pac-12 teams, the fourth, uh, the third and fourth teams in the Sweet 16 from the Pac-12. Number seven Oregon against number six USC.
1: So I would like to do a little bit of an uh, upon further review here of our last podcast. We actually brushed over that that Ken Palm stat for top twenty in both offensive and defensive efficiency does apply to the end of the season numbers, including the tournament. And actually, uh-huh. I did a little bit of a review, and I'm even more confident now that the winner will come from that stat because USC has vaulted themselves into the top 20 in both offensive and defensive efficiency in Ken Palm. That leaves five out of the Sweet 16 teams, or maybe four actually, four. yeah, for uh, replacing Illinois basically, um, that are still in in, that, in those categories. However, I don't think that it will matter for this individual game. I think Oregon gets their regular season revenge on USC. I mean, look, they're the team that you look at that everybody always overlooks one team because of their second round matchup, whether it be with a three seed, a one seed, a two seed. But some teams just decide, you know what, I'm going to wake out of bed today and I'm going to score 95 points and I'm going to shoot 60% from three. And once that happens, it doesn't stop from there. Shooting is contagious, and Oregon has been infected with magnificent three-point shooting, all the way to beating Luca Garza in Iowa, even literally allowing Luca Garza to look like the best player of all time on the court on the other end, but twos don't beat threes, and that's what Oregon showed. Um, I think Oregon has enough, I think Oregon summons another three-point barrage and wins this game.
0: I've got USC, then um, maybe it's just because they looked fantastic in a against a tired, COVID-impacted, depleted you know, Kansas squad, not physically depleted by the people being present, but I, I think they were actually physically depleted in terms of their conditioning. So maybe I'm buying into the hype. Maybe I just want to see that USC-Gonzaga matchup because I think USC actually with their size and their talent might have the chance to knock off Gonzaga the next round. Um, gut feel, close game, gut feel. I've got uh, USC... Upsetting Oregon, setting up a matchup with Gonzaga uh, in the Elite Eight. Um, Well, speaking of that, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. But our next podcast, we will talk about the Elite Eight um, as this year's schedule shift has those games being on Monday and Tuesday. Um, That next podcast will be on Monday, March 29th, where in addition to discussing the Elite Eight, we'll review the latest NBA action and see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, be sure to Check out Patrick's additional content on his website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. And thank you for listening.